I'm Lindsay with Wild Root Flower Company. And I'm Shannon from Bloom Hill Farm. Over the last six years, we've leaned on each other as we grew our farms into the profitable six-figure farms they are today. We want you to join us each week as we have real, honest conversations about life and business. And we promise you'll leave feeling inspired and your farming toolbox will be filled with actionable strategies you can implement at any stage in your business. Learn from our mistakes as we talk business, marketing, and growing techniques to help you create the farm of your dreams. So let's roll up our sleeves and get the dirt on flowers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dirt on Flowers. Hi, Lindsay. I feel like I haven't seen your beautiful face in like a hot, hot second. I know. I know. I know. It's been a, yes, it's been a bit. I've been buried in evergreens, so I'm very sappy. Yeah. Full of Christmas I'm buried rage. in just everything. <laughs> like this, I was just spreading compost this mm-hmm. morning, doing stuff for tulips. Yes. And at the time of this recording, we're mid-November, mm-hmm. so I don't know when this this is going to kick out. I don't know the exact date, but spreading compost. And I was thinking this time of year is super hard because you're trying to shut the farm mm-hmm. down, ranunculus, anemone, compost, a lot. Christmas greens, yeah. tulips, it's you like know, spring. all that stuff. It's tough. It's like the same crunch mm-hmm. that you feel in the spring. Except you're tired. Yes. And you yeah. just can't wait to sit on the couch like a little bit longer than you usually do. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm looking out my window right now and my two employees, one who's very oh, pregnant is I like shoveling. And it's what happened this year. We've got a bunch of pregnant that. ones. Tara has a pregnant one too. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. I yeah. mean, tough, like tough as nails. My, I mean, Rachel's going to have her baby yeah. December 30th is her due date. So she's like up there, like kind of leaning on a stool, like bunching Christmas greens. <laughs> never complains perfect you know but yeah she's like ready to take her winter off which will be very sweet and good how was Seattle it was great yeah we met I got to meet a bunch of bunch of listeners and stuff which was really fun and uh, I got my introduction to the whole seminar was I was at a table and I was kind of connecting with there's a there was a flower farmer and Sean was with me and this girl comes up to me and she was like hey she's like I'm a dirt bag I'm popsicle toes <laughs> and I thought oh that's she and then she said you know that's my dahlia stripper name and like every you know Sean's looking at me like <laughs> what is going on so when we shared if you were listening to the podcast a while if you're mm-hmm. new where this comes from is Shannon and I were talking about what our dahlia stripper names mm-hmm. would be I think I was wine-eyed Jill and you were what Chimicum Naja, I think yeah, I think yeah, yeah. but so this I got to meet ever. popsicle toes, like the non the 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 dirt filled like non sexiest stripper in history. I think I need a worse yeah. name. I need something different. Something a yeah trashy. yeah at the end. So. Yeah, well, that's it cute. was super cute. She's just like I'm popsicle toes. I'm like that wins. <laughs> like that wins. You win the internet yes. for the day with that. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, it was it was really great to uh, to mm-hmm. talk. I got to do budgeting crop costing, you know, creating a crop plan, cool. workshops, you pick. So there was a bunch. It was a really, really good, good group. Mm-hmm. And it was, I gave my, you know, normally when I give a presentation, you give like your whole bio and you talk about your farm. Yeah. I was like, by the third or fourth one, I'm like, well, I guess we can skip this slide because you're, it's all the same group. Yeah. You know, I was like, well, I didn't think good. that through. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of nice. Some good connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The weather was great. It's a hike and stuff. So good. very happy. Very good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you had a good yeah. time. Well, yeah, the Alaska oh, trip, the other half of it didn't happen just because of everything that yeah. going on. But fingers crossed, I've t- connected with Beth, hoping to make that oh, happen. Good. 
next year too. So yeah. I'm yep. glad you had some time to head out there. Yeah. It's just so fun to meet everybody. It's so energizing and fun. And like people are like, mm. I didn't want to come up and say hi. I'm like, no, you like literally have to. Because there's times when yeah. like, I mean, I love doing the podcast. I wouldn't do it. any, But there's times when it's, especially in the middle of the season where it's like harder to mm-hmm. fit it all in. So those things are just energizing and perfect, you know. So they're good. Yeah. So I know a lot of us are getting towards the end of the year here, depending on when this is going to be aired. It should be in December, I guess. So a lot of us are beginning to kind of reflect on our growing seasons, making big plans for the next season. So, you know, we talk about this all the time is that just looking at your farm through a lens of profitability, like just having that lens to see your farm is so incredibly important. I mean, I have been there when I first started, like head was in the sand, basically. Like I didn't know, I just knew I was growing stuff and I was like just selling, trying to sell it. I didn't really know what was working, what wasn't. And so like looking at your farm through that lens, if we do anything today, but inspire you to look at your farm from a profitability angle, we will definitely have done our job. And we have such a wonderful guest today to help us talk about the five keys to profitability. So Lenny, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. So we have Lenny Larkin here with us today. We're going to be talking all kinds of money type stuff with flower farming. And she just wrote a book. So which I, I, I yeah, yeah, Big yes. Time. So, Lenny, welcome to the podcast. You want to go ahead and give yourself a little intro and tell us a little bit about your farm and and who you are. Sure. Yes, love to. And thank you so much for having me. You said you want to give yourself a little, and I was like, is she going to say round of applause? (laughs) (laughs) We can do that too. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. Uh, Thank you guys so much for having me. I was thrilled to be able to come on and chat with you. I listen to your podcast, Uh and it's funny because I typically only listen to flower podcasts now if a friend or a mentor or someone is is on them. But then I found you guys and I just, I love what you do and you're so genuine and it just really comes through. So I just wanted to say thank you for what you do. Yeah. Oh, and I have a funny, I was thinking through a funny memory of not meeting you guys at the last ASCFG conference, but seeing you. Mm -hmm. All right. Maybe I'll just say that real quick. So I will, you know, of course, Lindsay spoke at the conference. This was last year in Boston, I think. And a wonderful presentation. You spoke about shrink. And that's sort of my one of my soapboxes too, like waste on the flower farm. So I was like, this woman and I need to be friends. Everything yeah. she's saying is so smart. I took, amazing, I took great notes from your talk. Aww. And then Shannon, I think you and your husband were sitting in front of oh, me for a lot awesome. of the sessions, like directly in yeah. front of me. And I was just like, who is this shiny couple? Like your hair is oh. sort of like... <laughs> And I think maybe he was like wearing shorts, even though it was very cold out. And I was like, who is that guy who just came in from like CrossFit? (laughs) And you were just, I was like, is this Barbie and Ken like plopped down in our conference? I seriously was like, it, it, well, it was impressive in a room of dirty So, um, but I don't think I met either of you there. So somehow we've never met. So I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. All right. Here we are 10 minutes later. So yeah. Oh, you're you're good. good. You're good. We tell everybody, Lenny, your Dahlia stripper name because yes. we did talk about this before the podcast. What'd you decide? Oh on? yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> someone suggested boom boom white, and I'm like, yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, can't we just take some of the more the regular names and and mm. like sexy boom. them up a little mm-hmm. bit, like yeah. um, Joey Frombo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. 
how you say it. I guess. That's right. It's Jowie, right? My boyfriend's always Jowie. Jowie is not even a word. And I'm like, that's, it is that's in Dowie world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that one. I, yeah. I need to put that one on my list. Apparently. Yeah. I tried it. I feel like the only Jowie that has stuck on my farm has been Jowie Winnie. Yeah. Like, tried it. Yeah. Classic, I agree. Jowie. Yeah. But sorry. yeah, I have B-side <laughs> farm. No, I'm sorry. I have B-side farm and now flower farming for profit, which is like my, all the consulting and teaching stuff I do. I've now taken it out of the B-side farm umbrella and put it over with flower farming for profit, which is the name of my book. But I've been farming since, let's see, I moved to California in 2011 to go to the farm school at UC Santa Cruz okay. to do like the apprenticeship program. And I went there and I came from a world of social work and adult education. And I was like, I was around 30 or something. And it was a, so it was a switch. It was a big career shift. And I had farmed as a teenager, rather worked on farms as a teenager. And I wanted to get back to it. And I wanted to combine teaching with farming. So that's why I went to like farm school. It was to like learn how to teach farming. And so it's funny thinking now that that's really come full circle here, like 14 years later. It's what I'm really doing. So I, yeah, built B-Side Farm over 10 years in Sonoma County, California, after, you know, after running a vegetable farm for a few years and just moved the farm up to outside of Portland, Oregon one year ago. So yeah, there's a lot to say there. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's another book in that story, but I don't, you know, the book doesn't have like a happy ending yet. It will, but it's, you know, I kind of, I think I sort of took for granted what it meant to have built such an established business Mm -hmm. to then pick up and leave behind and enter a whole new market. So that's what I'm going through right now. But yeah, but I've done, you know, I've done it all like you ladies sold wholesale to florists, to wholesalers, lots of full service weddings, a farm stand, daily deliveries, workshops, all of that. Done a little bit of everything over those years to to find what worked for Mm me. Awesome. That's good. So you moved then from California to Oregon. Yeah. That was yep. I don't think I think I missed that. I think one of the last talks or something I was heard you talking about was did you move a roadside stand? Right. Yeah. I had a roadside okay. stand. Yeah. I talk yeah. about my farm stand a lot because I um it's funny, like over the years I shrunk my farm. You know, I've always always cultivated like an acre or less. I've had more land than that at one time, but really in terms of crops, that's what I've had. But over the years, I shrunk it down and really focused on my roadside stand and um, ended up bringing in like over 120 grand a year just on my tiny roadside stand through selling like 15 bouquets a day. So I was able to, and the reason I share those numbers is because like you ladies, it's like, I I think it's so important to talk about the context behind our farm Mm -hmm. and the numbers. And so Mm -hmm. just the fact that I think that that tells the story of how I looked at my situation and my market and my clientele. And I was like, how can I get more for less? How can I work mm-hmm. a little less? How can I create more of a tidy farm? And so I shrunk my farm down to really focus on the farm stand. So that was in the end, like 50, 60% of my sales. But yeah, so I, that's why you remember the farm stand. I do talk yeah. about it a lot. And and I, but yeah, I, I think I haven't talked about the move that much because it's still I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like still so fresh. And we have, I've moved fields a million times, like setting up a new field, breaking into new soil, setting up infrastructure. I've done that a lot over the years, but so mm-hmm. that isn't the challenging part. The challenging part is like 
being in a new market yeah. all of a sudden where no yeah. one knows me. Yeah. Um, I'm entering the saturated market. I used to be one of the like earlier people in my old saturated market and now mm-hmm. I'm the new guy on the block. So just figuring that yeah. that out and it's taken a while. And of course I've been writing the book and everything. Mm-hmm. So besides yeah. here in Oregon hasn't exactly like shot up yet, although I'm I'm still pretty convinced that I can grow it a lot more quickly than I did the first time around. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a lot of our listeners are in the same spot. They're in their markets and trying to figure out like where they belong, how they fit in, how they make their mark. So it's just, it's, it's really cool because we always, we even tell listeners like, Hey, like we're le- like learning some of the stuff like right alongside you. And that like has yes. to ring true with, you know, with you, you know, talking to like new growers and all that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, you know, I've been sharing these little stories with all these farmers I coach throughout the year. Like, you know, I'll, I'll teach a topic and then I'll be like, okay, now for the humbling moment, if you guys want to hear like what I faced today, you know, whether it's like trying to promote a CSA and only getting a few customers mm-hmm. sign up or, you know, whatever it is, just the challenges and, and the mm-hmm. kind of how humbling it is to be a, like a beginner again, mm-hmm. essentially, yep. you know, but the difference yeah. is that, you know, most of us, we grow our farms. So we grow a few crops and we find a few customers. We grow a few more crops. We find a few more customers. And those mm-hmm. two things are like growing in tandem. Mm-hmm. But here I was, we broke into the ground here. We have a two acre property and we could have had that whole, there's like one acre of plantable space. We could have had it planted out right away, but then we didn't have any customers. And so we thought we like stayed pretty small, but even the small fields of crops that we did plant this first season, we had way more crops than we did customers. Mm-hmm. And so we figured that out and we're, we're improving, but it's just like, when does that happen? When can you grow like a, you know, primo Dahlia crop and yeah. then not yet have people yeah. ready to buy it? Yeah. It's, it's kind yeah. of wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good that you've also like kind of gone through that now you're like you're looking at it from a business mindset too and you've had so many years of experience that it's probably not it still weighs on you mentally but you you still have that like grit or endurance to kind of like figure it out you know yes. where I think sometimes in the beginning it can you can feel a little bit discouraged by overproduction I did something similar this year we cut out our summer CSA and I mm. thought I scaled back enough to cut out yeah. the CSA subscription and I we just still had overproduction and that gave me so much anxiety, right. you know. Right. And that like me, that's your like sticking point. You're like, we can't yeah. have that. We can't have flowers that we're spending time and money and yeah. labor and energy to grow and then not selling. It's like, ah. yeah. 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 It's maddening. Yeah. So you will be going into your second season in this new spot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And okay. so we finally, you know, we last season we got in here just in time to to spread some cover crop and to plant out like a few ranunculus, you know, a tunnel worth of crops. And then had a big Dahlia summer crop. And we ended up selling to the wholesale market here, the OFGA, which is a great group of growers. And I've known a lot of them for years. And they were so welcoming. And I kind of didn't want to step on people's toes. And I was figuring out where my place was going to be. And I also was ready to hit Portland, like the Portland retail market with a real with a real bang. And I say retail market just meaning like I wanted to continue to sell retail mm-hmm. rather than wholesale. Yeah. Because I think a lot of farms, a lot of tiny farms should be going for that higher price point rather than trying to sell wholesale right away, if at all. And so I was like, I don't sell wholesale anymore. I stopped doing that years ago. Then here I was with this like field of crops. Mm -hmm. And so we joined the wholesale market and ended up delivering, um, renting a stall there and delivering three times a week. I say we, my partner, Matt, like does all the deliveries. Uh, he, He loves going in and like hanging out on the dock with, you know, our friend's future farm here and raindrop farms and Corolla, like all these great 
uh, Janet Foss, all these great farmers that I'm sure your listeners know and love who all sell at this market. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's been growing in recent years and it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we did end up selling wholesale and doing a small CSA and a few farm dinners because Matt's a chef. And so next year we're going to try to really increase Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Increase the, the retail thing and get more customers from, from Portland who don't yet know that they, um, love local flowers, but I'm always thinking about like expanding the pie, you know what I mean? Especially being a new person in a market, like how can we create new lovers of local flowers rather than taking, taking away someone else's customers or whatever. And as you guys know, there's room for us all. There's a market. Yeah. 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 Yeah, everybody's kind of got their own niche with it. My sister's yeah. in Portland, so I'll have to send her your oh, direction. Bella. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Up until like the last couple of years, I they uh, they come here during the summer some, but I've I've gone out there a couple of times a year. It's gore it's gorgeous out there, that whole area. Yeah, yeah. The northwest. It's great. And it's you guys great. can grow some dahlias. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still getting used to the how wet it is in the winter, you know, and mm-hmm. what that means for insects and disease. But but we'll get there. I went to college here, like whatever, 20 years ago. And my brothers live here now. But we actually got priced out of California, which is why we moved up here. Mm -hmm. We were finally ready to buy property and we couldn't do it in Sonoma County. And our well ran dry at my annual field. And it was like, okay, are we really going to move our field again? But then we had to stop and say, are we just treading water here? If our goal is to own, own, own land, which it has become, it's become so important to us to like really feel like a place is our own and we can see it change mm-hmm. over time and make big and in, big investments. And so we said, okay, it, it's going to be hard, but if we're going to do it at some point, let's just mm-hmm. do it now. And so we, yeah. we took the plunge and found a property up here. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. good. Congratulations. Yes, That's a big yeah. deal. Thank you. Sounds like you found a lot of beauty in the pivot, you know, figuring it out. And I think instead of being discouraged by that, you got that grit. You know, we, we talked to we talked to people all the time about having the grit, yeah. And it it just sounds like such a cool journey, and it's really cool. So, congrats! Thanks, thank you guys. Oh. Appreciate that. Yeah, and that's that's good to. I'm like, oh, they said I have grit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you, right. you, have, yeah. you have it. You have it. If you've moved your farm, yeah. you've got grit. Yes. Like yeah. you got more than that. Yeah. You got big girl panties on. Everything. <laughs> you are set. Yeah. So. That's for sure. So today we're we're going to talk to you. We're going to talk a little bit about your book and we're going to talk about your just five keys to profitability on a flower farm. So, you know, t- you want to talk, you want to start with, just want to dive into these, yeah. these tips, these yeah. keys. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So the first one you had down was uh, be strategic. So test and learn. So you want to expand on that for us and- Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of these points are things that you guys talk about all the time on this podcast. So I know you'll have a lot to say. But I think strategy is what's missing from most of our flower farms when we start them. Mm -hmm. It's like you learn how to plant seeds and grow plants. And a lot of us knew how to do that a little bit before we started our farms. Some of the more successful farms, you know, worked for someone else first, which is always Mm-hmm. Amazing if you can do that. I, I I would almost want that to be like a prerequisite, but you know, however you got into this business is fine and wonderful. Glad you're here. <laughs> so yeah, so we start growing plants and then we figure out how to sell them and then we see who's buying them and then we try to sell more to them. But it's like we're just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And we're often trying too many things. Like, you know, these new farmers who are growing a hundred crops and selling through 
selling through a CSA and weddings and to florists, you know, spreading themselves so thin without really creating a plan and a roadmap for where they're going to go. And it's not, you know, I don't think everyone needs to create a full business plan. That's not always necessary, but some sense of designing an experiment almost, you know, thinking back to like science class, it's like, okay, I'm going to create this month long CSA and then defining what success would look like for you for, you know, so I, it'll be worth it for us if we can get, I don't know, 20 customers. And if we don't have 20 customers sign up within our six week, you know, launch period that we're talking about it, then let's reassess and try something else. Or let's rather change our marketing technique and see how we can shift it. It's like, I just think we really need to focus on a specific goal. They talk about smart Mm -hmm. goals, right? Specific goal, a roadmap to reach it, and then knowing how to quit and like you said, pivot if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And we we don't always have the information in the beginning. Of course, we have to throw things at the wall to some extent, but I see farmers in year two, three, four, five, six, even more so if you're starting part-time, who are just keeping their heads down, growing their plants and selling to whoever knocks on the door without really setting out in a strategic way. Mm -hmm. So test and learn. Yeah, it's this whole concept of like deciding what you want to do, being really specific about how you're going to get there and then seeing what seeing what results you can come up with. And then because only, you know, only with that method can you know what to tweak Mm -hmm. and what you Mm -hmm. could have done differently. Yeah. And yeah. so, yes, yeah, st- strategy, basically. And like strategy can be a- anything, but it's just, it's, I think it's a lens we need to bring back to, to farms. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think early on too, like it's hard to rein it in because you're so excited yes. and yeah. you're so eager to just, you have these flowers and it's like, you want to sell to every outlet and you kind of lose sight of that strategy, but you're, it's very true. And we've said this, we've echoed this many times about this, like, you know, less is more. It's like, get really good at what you're doing. We've given that advice so many times. And, um, you had mentioned earlier just about like, you're getting smaller on your farm. And I feel like that's sort of where I'm at, where I'm just like, I'm really trying to fine tune and like fine tune that profitability, fine tune what it is I actually want to do. Cause it's really difficult to, you know, there, there can also be a scarcity like, oh, I don't want to give up that piece of the pie because somebody else is going to get it, especially in these like saturated markets when the reality is you'd probably make more money if you had a really good solid plan. Yes, absolutely. You're selling. Yep. And it also gives you a little boost. Like I reached, mm-hmm. I reached my goal or I didn't reach my goal, but I got 60% of the way there. And here are three things I could do differently and try out next time. It's like once you I don't know. Can, once you put pen to paper and really define what you're actually doing, it brings some fo- it mm-hmm. brings you some focus, and I think gives you these small wins that like propel you forward. Because otherwise, it's just a sea of, you know, confusion. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're just okay mm-hmm. with whatever comes your way, and that's not really a business, you know. Right. So even yeah. like taking the example of you know selling twenty CSA shares, let's say you get to eighteen. Like for me, I'm like a generally a competitive type person. I'm going to be like, I'm going to get that 20, you know, I'm going to get there. But it's so if I didn't have that number, you know, I wouldn't have that push. And like people are motivated in different ways. You know, that's my motivation. So part of it is like figuring out how, what motivates you. And for me, like I have to have the number. 
Because what what yeah. we do is so sales oriented, and there's like this honeymoon period in, in flower farming too. Especially when you first get started, you're like you're ordering the seeds and the pictures and the and all the what's it going to look like and making the plans and all of that. And then you know you get there and you grow these things, and you're like, wait, they're not. I don't have this line out the door of people wanting my flowers. So and it puts you into a whole nother mode. I mean, we like to say like what we do is like. 10% dirt, 90% business. Um, and yes. it'll, yeah. it'll be really quick. Like we're all savvy and smart. Like it's not going to take us long to figure out the growing piece. That's the easy part of what we right. do, mm-hmm. you know? So right. that's where yeah. the strategy comes in and you're so right on that. It's just, it's the missing piece for a lot of people. Yeah. Treat your farm like a laboratory and not just your, the dirt part, but yeah, your, your sales, your marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love how you put it. Yeah. Okay. So next one, choose your crops wisely. Very important. Yes. Yes. So, so important. And it's, again, it's hard to do in the beginning, but the, I'll tell you what not to do is to like grow every crop under the sun and assume that you're going to learn what works for you and what doesn't and what is profitable and what is not and what is, you know, in demand in your market and what's not. There's I think farmers should start out with like five, 10 mm-hmm. crops and, you know, and, and hone in from there and then add mm-hmm. from there as well. But um, I'm sort of, I've sort of become obsessed with crop cost of production or enterprise budgets, budgets over the past few years. You would think I could like say the words now, but no. um, and I've <laughs> started these grants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a mouthful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've gone after these research grants where I've brought in the first year I was working with four farmers and the second year, 11 farmers. And Michelle Elston, who, you know, I yeah, think we I all Michelle. love, yes. came on your podcast her. and spoke about it a little bit. She was one of the farmers in the first grant study. So we've been working with a program out of a program called Know Your Cost to Grow, which actually, if any of your listeners read uh, Growing for Market magazine, there's an awesome write up about growing for market. Um, sorry, about Know Your Cost to Grow in Growing for Market. Talk about a mouthful. But anyways, it's just this amazing program created to help farmers track their cost of production. And so I've been like the project manager, reaching out to all these farmers, wrangling them, and then ushering through the, them through the process of tracking cost of production on one or two crops over two years. And it's just so, um, I know so many farms, even kind of successful, larger farmers who aren't convinced that they could be doing better. And by doing better, I mean making more money and working less if they really examined their crops and realized that some of them were making them a lot of money and some of them were losing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can learn our crop cost of production, we can figure out the crops that are losing, get them out of there, the crops that are maybe like neutral or just making us a little bit of money and deciding whether to get rid of them or or whether to improve production on them. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps growing more of the crops that are making us money. And this is a, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky process. Um, but there are ways to start it in bite-sized ways. I think looking at your harvest rates is one great place to start because like Michelle shared on your podcast, harvest is like the bulk of the labor mm-hmm for mm-hmm. a crop. And um, so I'm just trying to answer the question, like, where does our time go on the flower farm, especially if you're mm-hmm. new and you're small, you're working all the time and you wouldn't be able to tell us where you're spending the bulk of that time. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. definitely can't juggle in your head, like all the time you've spent on a crop, 
and then compare that against the selling price and the yield. And those are like the three things that have to interact in order to tell us whether crop is profitable. But there's just no way to do it in your head. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, you know, my roses are a lot of work, but I got such high prices per stem. And it's like, okay, well, how much work? And yeah, there's a high price per stem, but was your yield that high? And were you able, was there demand for them in the market? So it's all these factors Mm -hmm. that it's just like, you can't intuitively know. Mm -hmm. So the more you can study it, the better. So yeah, it's kind of a mouthful, but yeah. With, I think with crops in the beginning too, we say it all the time, like grow, like you said, five, grow five, five crops really well. And it's like, we say it, but y'all ain't listening. You're still, (laughs) you are still in front of that catalog, probably right now ordering stuff. Okay. (laughs) So it's because you get the flat and you get bit by that bug and, you know, choosing those crops and being very specific. Yes, you have to trial some of them to see. When I was in uh, Seattle giving my talk, uh, when I'm talking about crop planning and, and budgeting, all these things, scabiosa comes up a lot for me because it's one that we've eliminated yeah. because um, it was not profitable for us. And yeah. <laughs> about, I don't know, halfway through the third talk, some girl was like, what do you have against scabiosa? Because like, <laughs> I was just like the one I kept, I'm like, where do I tell you? It's just the harvesting. It's the time to harvest. Yeah. You know, I always wanted it for wedding work. And do you think that wedding that it hit on when it bloomed was burgundy? No. You know, right. it just never worked. It didn't work for me in bouquets. So it was just not something that was easy to harvest, efficient. So we, we've cut it. We cut it out. So yeah. if you could give, like, how, how would you give advice to someone? Because I know people are listening going like, well, how do I know what's wise to choose? Like, how do you, yeah. can you give some guidance on like what that means to you or what advice you'd give to people? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, I mean, back to what you said in the beginning, like, listen, listen to us, listen to us when we say you don't need to grow 50 different crops. And I think people do that because they see other people doing Mm -hmm. it. And that's a big Mm -hmm. problem. You need to learn how to specialize in the crops you grow. Think about, you know, in in old school agriculture, not that I'm promoting like, you know, one monocrop, but people, people specialize. And I think, you know, I used to have a farm where we had a massive bouquet program, but we grew a really small list of crops, like 15 crops. And we had variety. We had beauty. I was always interested. I was always learning new things and experimenting with new colors and patterns and textures together. I wasn't bored is what I'm trying to say by only Mm -hmm. growing 15 crops and my customers weren't bored. So in order to get started, I would say, yeah, I would say, look, you know, starting right now, it's mid-November, whenever this airs, you can look back on your season last year and focus in, I would say, pick like three crops that you think were profitable for you, whatever, like, and by whatever calculation you're deciding on that for now. But there was a big demand for them. You, you know, according to like Lindsay's shrink sheet, you, you didn't waste much of the bed. You were able to cut and sell most of the bed. Maybe even you had the demand outpaced your supply. Maybe there was like, you could have sold more of it. And thinking back, you suspect that you didn't spend tons of time like futzing with the crop mm-hmm. You know, you weren't, I don't know, I I always throw sweet peas under the bus now because like- me too. Yeah. It's like, you know, you weren't out there 
futzing with the trellis and picking things and deadheading. You don't you don't think you spent too much time with the crop. Like again, I'm always fighting against like don't do don't base decisions on what you think or what you feel, but it's a starting yeah. place sometimes. And then your selling price. And so, you know, pick three crops that you want to look at more closely this season and then and potentially expand production on. And then pick three crops that you think weren't worth the time. And sometimes sometimes we can know that intuitively or make a guess. Like the sweet peas mm. Ooh, I remember spending a lot of time in my sweet peas and I can look at my sales records and know we only sold 50 bunches of them or whatever through the whole year. That's a plug for record keeping, mm-hmm. of course, but, and yeah. the sales price was nothing to write home about. And there, you know, so maybe it's worth cutting those out for a season or just growing them in the home garden for this. Mm-hmm. Season. Yeah. And then the ones that you think did well and you want to really examine start looking at the rates, like how long does it take you to harvest them? Whether, you know, it could be how many stems do you harvest in an hour or how long does it take you to harvest a bucket or a few bunches, Mm -hmm. whatever, and start to look at that and see if you can gain even more efficiency in that. Um, And then there's, of course, a lot more steps to these enterprise budgets, but that's a really great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this with Lenny as an extra in the insiders too. We're going to actually talk about these, like some of this, like crop evaluating Mm -hmm. and see how you can determine profitability of a crop. So, um, insiders, it's a little extra teaser treat for you with that coming out too. So I'm always struggling with this, the fact that people to some extent need to make their own mistakes. So you said like, we tell them over and over, grow fewer crops and they don't. And it is sort of so frustrating. And so I'm like, how do we, how do I, you know, stay on this soapbox, but be realistic Mm -hmm. about it. And I work with all Mm -hmm. these farmers, like in my online course, I work with farmers to help them really slim down their crops. And the people who come back to me the next year and say, I cut out a third of my crops and I haven't, Mm -hmm. you know, I can tell you I'm more focused and I'm making more money. That is like music to my ears because we don't have a lot of people saying things like that, whether they came to it on their own or through my coaching or through listening to you guys. Like, I think we need to have more people talking about the strength of a more kind of consolidated, concise crop list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And even just marrying the first one that we talked about, testing and learning with choosing your crops. Like Lindsay and I will tell a story. Like for me, Cafe Ole Dahlias, I could I could sell like 300 a weekend because I have like higher end event floors. But Lindsay, on the other hand, can't sell a cafe to save her life. And that's yeah. because our markets are completely different. So it is figuring right. that out. Like what might be profitable to me might not be profitable to Lindsay, vice versa. And totally. so it's so important that you test and you figure these things out yourself too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. one more example, I mean, is that the Cafe LA is such a good example. And when Lindsay was talking about Scaviosa, mm-hmm. I was thinking back to Jello Mold Farm and yeah. Diane Sukhlavati. I remember a few years ago, I don't know what they're doing now, but she's a big one for enterprise budgets, which I love. And she's taught a lot about cost of production, slightly different method than what I work with now. But ultimately, it doesn't matter which method you use as long as you're sticking with it. But she, at one point, I know they were getting ready to stop producing dahlias, which was a big crop for them because they found all their woodies to be way more profitable for them. But at the time she had said, but scabiosa is when seeded annual that we're going to keep growing because it really works for us. And I was just thinking how funny it is how on your farm, like on Lindsay's farm, it just didn't cut it. But on their farm, it made all the sense in the world. And I think it was because it was one of the, you know, they weren't growing all the like 
cosmos or sweet peas. They weren't growing a lot of other crops that share characteristics of scabiosa, like a pain in the ass to harvest, small harvest stage. You have to get them right away. So they were, I think, treating it as something that they had to like come through and almost like clear cut and bring to market however many times a week, maybe three times a week. And for them, the way they treated it on their farm, they weren't geared towards weddings, anything like that. They were selling to Mm -hmm. florists. So it just worked for them and their production system. And it sounds like it absolutely didn't work for yours. And it's Mm -hmm. just like the cafes. It's so interesting Mm -hmm. how different our friends are. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of scenarios with Shannon. I mean, we're we're an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes apart where my florists, they gobble up sunflowers. Shannon, she can't sell sunflower wholesale at all. So it's just a very different. Mm-hmm. I have a very traditional florist market. And, you know, from a wholesale side, that's, you know, that's just where we're at. So it's just like, yeah. no, yeah. Like Shannon said, you know, test, know your market, then choose your crops wisely from that. And there's, you know, there is some, you know, trial by, you know, trial and error as, as you go along. But, um, you know, one thing that both of these things that we've talked about so far, and you've mentioned it with like record keeping is that like, you can't make changes and you can't measure stuff that you're not tracking. So we've we've done podcast episodes on just record keeping alone, but that's like really the basis for all of this, like solid foundation for anything that we're talking about with profitability. And, you know, there's a lot of people that still think, you know, they'll consult and they'll say, oh, I don't really, you know, I don't really need, I don't, I don't track or I don't need to do right. that. I feel like we're doing just fine. It's like, you're, you probably are doing just fine, but to like get to that next level where like you really could fine tune this and like increase your bottom line profitability hugely, yes. you know, by just looking at those things and cutting out what's not working. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think when people think about record keeping, they then think that means they need to like keep every, keep track of every record in the world or every, you know, everything that happens on their farm from like pests and disease to weather to when they planted and sure, all of that yeah. can be important. But I would think for what we're talking about, if people can keep track of waste or shrink and yield the yield from their flower plants mm-hmm. or beds, they're golden. Like those are the two main things yeah. I think people need to track that they're not tracking. Yeah. 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 I agree. So, um, your your next key to profitability is evaluate your sales channels and then evaluate them again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Do it, do it, hey. R- rinse, repeat, rinse, yeah. wash, rinse, repeat, right? Yeah. I mean, just like some of your crops are making you money and some are losing you money, some of your sales channels are making you money and some are losing you money. And like, I, I think it's funny. I've spoken out against farmers markets a lot recently, which is hilarious because farmers markets obviously are so crucial to so many farm businesses, but they don't work for everyone. And I think the reason they don't work for everyone is that they obviously take up so much time, labor, money. And then if you're not seeing the, you know, if you're not seeing a high sales, high sales day to compensate for all that time and labor, you're losing money. And I have an example in my book, actually. It's probably like the longest case study in my book where I profiled my good friend, Joanna Letts from Bluma Farm. She's the one who, she's an amazing farmer and now farms on a rooftop in Berkeley, but she's scaled down her farm over the years. Yeah, it's incredible. You guys should have her on Mm -hmm. sometime. But she at one point um, was looking into leaving farmer's markets. And so she did this analysis and we kind of like recreated the analysis of how much more she would need to sell to her florist customers in order to make up for the lost sales of farmer's market, and then some pathways to getting there. Was it, you know, trying to extend her season to get more flowers into those florists' hand earlier and later, or was it seeing what other crops she could grow for them and what percent, you know, would would she need her top five customers 
florist customers to increase their buys by 20% a week? Would that get her to the goal? And I think it ended up being like 30% a week or something. And she got there and hasn't looked back. But it's like there are some farmers markets that are just huge and thriving and some farms that have figured out how to do really well at specific farmers markets. And it's not, you know, there's a lot that's up to the farmers control, but as you guys know, there's a lot that's out of our hands. There's some farmers markets that just aren't going to make it for, for us. And so just really tracking your time and, and your markup and how much you're spending to make those sales is so important. And Mm -hmm. that's why my farm stand was so profitable for me because I was marking up my flowers three times across the board, whether or not I was using my own flowers that I grew or sometimes buying in flowers from other local farms, which I, you know, advertised about in my farm stand, like supporting these other farms. But I marked up three times with every bouquet. And I, you know, I did it, we did it in our heads by the end. Of course, we weren't like sitting down Mm -hmm. with recipes and spreadsheets every single time, but we did it in our heads and that we knew we were getting that markup, but our costs of selling through that channel were negligible. And that was where that like delta between, you know, sales and expenses created Mm -hmm. that that profit margin. And you guys talk about this so much too, about your sales channels and what's working and what's Mm -hmm. not and doing Mm -hmm. more of what's working and less of what's not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Especially with, do you have employees? Not anymore. (laughs) I've had, my firm's been so small that, you know, I've had like one full-time and two or three part-time people at a time. Mm -hmm. That's the Okay. Yeah. For me, I sometimes feel like it's easier to see when it's when you have employees too. Like I think you can lose sight of it when it's your own time and your own self in being involved in something. You aren't necessarily like looking at yourself as a dollar sign. But, you know, when you see a field full of employees, I know like what we're paying per hour to make this task happen. And so I think that evaluating sales channels, like for the UPIC for me is a, is a good example, um, has a high profit margin for us, but the trend we were, um, so for like several years in a row, we went, we grew like 170%, we grew like 70%, 175%, and then like close to 300%. And then it's like gone down. And so I'm watching that number like this year go back down. And so you know, we're, I'm looking at all of the things within that sales channel for me. So I'm looking at like that for our big events and, uh, you know, I live in a town with like 8,000 people and mm-hmm. surrounding areas like 30,000. And so I'm pulling a lot of new customers every single week. And that takes a lot of energy, a lot of marketing effort, a lot of investment initially to get these people to the farm. And then it's just like, okay, well, how do we turn them into a repeat customer? So but where I'm looking at it is like the labor costs that I have in with running my UPIC, we're evaluating to have it run as self-serve next year to like still that. have that. But like, how do I make this then still work for me? You know, next year has its own bags, is going to have its own bag of challenges for us on the farm. But like, that's one way that we're evaluating that sales channel. It's like, I don't want to eliminate it, but how do we make this work for us on the farm and still have like a really good customer experience without completely eliminating mm-hmm. it? So, and you know, again, you you have to test and learn, like you said, with every, even with your sales channels too, to yeah. know what works. You know, full service weddings weren't working for me. And so we, that's been eliminated. And I think there's also, I will say like, at least for me, there can be some fear associated with like eliminating even a crop or eliminating a enterprise 
that you're, yeah. that you're working with because there's yeah. like, there's a scarcity mentality that kind of runs through this. That's, I think that's why we overplant. We want to have enough. Um, when in reality in business, we want to create that pull market, not a push yes. market when it comes to yes. our flowers. Um, and so getting comfortable sort of in that, like just enough spot, uh, can be tough, but even with our sales outlets. So yeah, just letting it, those sales outlets like align with your values and then also what makes financial sense too. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're constantly evaluating. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, like it's pretty, it's a pretty pessimistic mindset to say, I'm going to do a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. you know, in, instead we should be doing what you said, like leaning into this place of, of abundance and like mm-hmm. seeing what works, seeing where the pull is coming from, leaning into that, doing more of it and seeing how we can do it really well. I mean, like if anyone watches Shark Tank, they always want to, they always like go out of the deal as soon as someone who's presenting their company says, we're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to do like five different things. And the size of the market is this big. And that's how we know we're going to, and it's like, no, you need to do one thing or two things really well and focus Mm -hmm. in on that and know that you're an expert in that rather than trying to get a bite out of a big market. You know, it's just, it's a different, it's a different Mm -hmm. mindset. Yeah. When, when you're yeah. first getting started too, thinking about all the different sales, like looking at the list of all the different ways that you can sell your flowers. And for me, it's like they're in the evaluation piece. It's even just like, there's another thing that's not even necessarily monetary that helps make those decisions too. And like for this is a good, a good example from me is grocery. Um, yeah. In an effort to move the farm to more to a Monday through Friday business model, because our kids are getting older older. We want our Saturdays back. There's like, for me, the grocery stores looked a little bit better because I can get all of those bouquets out during the week. All my production happens during the week. I'm not standing somewhere on Saturdays. So it's like weighing those things like quality of life, what works for you. And then the re- yeah. where the reevaluation comes in is like, okay, this fits. I did it. Now, how can I tweak this to make it more profitable? And it's that's where like that yeah. reevaluation is so important, um, and not just like mm-hmm. staying stagnant. I mean, I can't really think of one sales channel that we've had that has been is like remained the same, you know? Right. Yeah. The tweaking right. yeah. is what it's about. That's like that's the secret. Yeah. 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 <laughs> is totally. Yeah, not, that's the yeah. secret. It's funny on a personal level. I just made this connection, but it like talking about you know how people have to go through their own mistakes and we can't tell, we can't help them avoid everything just by telling them what, what, you know, what horror is going to like, they're going to yeah, encounter yeah. down the road. But this weekend at the ASCFG conference last week, I was talking to Ellen Polishuk, who's an amazing like farm and soil consultant. And she was looking over my new website for flower farming for profit. And she wrote to me and I asked her to, and she said, you're doing too much. And I was like, what do you mean? I, you know, here I am, this like skilled business person, been doing all this stuff for so many years. And she was like, you're doing your online course, you're doing group coaching, and you're doing one-on-one consulting and your grant stuff. And I was like, you know what? She's totally right. That's the exact same advice that I would give to anyone. And so I came back and looked at my business and how, it, how it's shaping up moving forward, my like consulting business. And I was like, you know what? One-on-one consulting or coaching isn't isn't creating enough of an impact from my standpoint. It doesn't fill me up as much. It just doesn't make, might not make sense for me anymore. Sure. I have some people I'll continue to work with, but like I'm putting everything into my online course. I love other stuff. I do the grant funded research is so fascinating to me, 
but like most people, a lot of people can't afford one-on-one coaching. So it always feels a little bit hard, you know, to charge people. And, um, anyway, so I was, I'm now I'm shifting gears and thinking that I'm only going to work with people one-on-one if they are getting funded through some other service organization. And there's lots of ways to get funded. So like, there's lots of ways for farmers to get one-on-one help. And I'm excited to find more of those ways too to partner with organizations that work with farmers. But it was just a funny like slap in the face, like talking about, you know, evaluating sales channels or evaluating crops, like evaluating what you're doing and being like, why am I spreading myself so thin mm-hmm. and like being so afraid to put all my eggs in one basket? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I love how you guys mm-hmm. put it. Okay. All right. Um, next one. Let's move on. Be able to tell us where your time <laughs> time goes, which – Please, Lenny. Tell, tell us. Where, I, I love how you laugh oh. midway through. All ears. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, good. so yeah, it's so good. And it's, of course, still an uphill battle for me as yeah, well. And us. this, you know, we've talked about this mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. But it's just, um, our farms are like quagmires. It's um, I feel like you step out the door for the day or you enter your farm for the day and then you blink, 10 hours went by, you didn't get through half of the projects you thought you would. There were five new problems. Um, Of course, with bigger farms, with bigger teams, you have to be organized and have some like way to get through this. But especially for smaller, newer farms, we need to know where our time is going. I'm just like underlining the problem, I suppose, but we need to know where our time is going in order, like you said, in order to, you can't manage what you can't measure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think anytime I used to try to like time track, I would say, I'm going to write down every single thing I do today, every single thing Matt does today and Laura and Eliza and whoever was working for me, that never works. Mm -hmm. You can't stick with that. Right. So I think it's all about like keying into what all the research that's out these days about habit formation and how can you tap into something you're already doing on your farm and allow that to cue you up for starting this new habit. So whether that is when you go inside for lunch or you sit down for lunch, quickly jotting down on a whiteboard, like of the four hours of the morning, what percentage of that was spent on harvesting or what percentage of that was spent on transplanting or what percentage of that was spent, like quite honestly, looking for tools because you're not organized mm-hmm. about where your tools Ugh. go. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, for things. And you don't have to do this every day mm-hmm. or every week. It's like, tr- you should try doing this at a few points during the season and try kind mm-hmm. of like taking account of your average day and your main employee's average days at a few points throughout the season on a, on a sort of average day, not during Dahlia digging or not, you know, Mm -hmm. and then see where your time is going. And like, I think a system for implementing this on your farm, like Michelle Elston is so good at this. I think none of us can aspire to even be like her because she's so organized, but she sort of had to be because she's in this market where she's selling these wholesale bouquets Mm -hmm. at, I think what she says are like pretty Mm -hmm. low or like modest price points but she's making it work and she has a really great, like profitable, hard driving mm-hmm. farm because she knows exactly what, how long it takes to do everything. She gets yeah. her team, she gets the team to be excited about that process too, which is so important. But so, yeah, I think it's about finding a system that works for you to see 
where you're spending your time on your farm. It's sort of like if you've never had a personal budget and then you go ahead and make a personal budget for the first time and you're like, oh yeah, well, I must spend like 500 bucks a month on food and like, oh, and you know, there's always like an entertainment category. Like, oh, I spend 20 bucks a month on entertainment. (laughs) And then if you really track where your money goes, it's wild. Like where was the lattes line item? You know, when I was like out treating myself to a coffee, you're just shocked at what actually goes Mm on. Yeah. In one of my talks, I always end one this like one presentation. I think I've talked about it in here on the podcast before. But if you were to cut out 30 minutes, like cut out something out of your day. Well, we're just gonna use cell phone as a, as the example, but if you cut out 30 minutes of your cell phone time off your screen time a day, times 365 days a year, that is 23 work days, 23 eight-hour days that you gain. That's almost a month of That's time right. by just getting off of your cell phone or having a little bit more focused time. So I think that being able, that self-awareness piece is so important and knowing like where are we spending our time. And yeah. especially if you are a one-man band and you really have to be focused on the business side, the marketing side crop production, delivery, you know, all the execution piece, like all of those things, you have to be really aware of how you're spending your time and if you're spending it wisely. Yeah, that's a very, it's a very Mm -hmm. important piece because there's days that I'm like, I get done at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I even do today? You know, (laughs) I mean, this morning I was like, Try, we were down getting a new battery for our the dump trailer because we're moving some compost around on the farm. And I'm like, I looked at the clock. I'm like, it's nine o'clock, and I've I've done <laughs> nothing but figure out how to put a battery on a dump trailer. You know, it's like, yeah. but that's that's the reality of running a farm. Mm-hmm. Like, you're right. never going to get away from that. You're always going to have people that are going to call you, appointments you need to take. You know, people are just going to stop in the farm, especially if you have a a, a customer facing farm. You're going to bump into people. So yeah, just mm-hmm. that evaluation piece. So do you, you're recommending just sort of like picking a few days a week over like a month to kind of get like a sense of like where your time's sort of going and how to, to make yeah. adjustments from there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe to make it even more simple, what about one day a month, you know, and you can plan it out. You can look at your schedule for the week. What's going on. Okay. This looks like a pretty typical week. Let's say Wednesday, we're all going to track what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you have that information and you're always going to second guess it. Like, well, it doesn't normally take me that long to yeah. like overanalyze. Find... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, but it does take you mm-hmm. that long, you know, and this is also such a great way to start to figure out how you need to build your team and what tasks you're doing that you can hand off and delegate to someone mm-hmm. else. And then to do only the work like you were just talking about, like do only the work that you can mm-hmm. do as the farm owner. Yeah. And there's so much yeah. of that. Well, I think a lot of our listeners too are putting off the the things that feel hard, the bookkeeping, yeah. maintaining mm-hmm. records, yeah. looking at our sales, seeing where we're at. Like those are not the shiny objects on the day-to-day farm, which <laughs> which is hard. I mean, I've 100% yeah. been there. Like I it was like only like 3 or 4 years ago where I was on the phone with Lindsay telling her like I literally spent all December in a hot mess of QuickBooks, not knowing what <laughs> happened. And, and that was that was my fault. And it's like, when you do look at that time, the time that you have allotted, you're going to find pockets of time or things where you can delegate to, to start to start really being the entrepreneur that you want and need to be right. for your farm. And you yeah. have to like carve that. You have to force yourself. It's not the sexiest right. thing. It's never going to be. Right. But it's so, it's like the most impactful thing you can do for your farm is to know your farm financially. And it's always the first thing to be like, 
nope, not today. <laughs> Got a weed. Yeah, it's intimidating. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's an intimidating. You can find all kinds of ways to avoid doing that. Mm-hmm. Pulling weeds, deadheading stuff. You shouldn't be deadheading. Totally. You're losing money if you're doing that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's, and I've, I've shared it on here many times, but it was like, I mean, accounting was the only class I did not take at Ohio State. I took it at the community college because I did not want to get a D on my <laughs> at Ohio State. So I took it at the off campus and we tra- I got a tutor and I tra- it did not make sense to me. Now it does, you know? And so I always say like, trust me, if I, <laughs> yeah. if I now enjoy it because it gives you control of your business, it just mm-hmm. makes you feel so empowered to to be able to see like understand your finances like knowing where your time is spent and you're 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 going to feel good that you're spending it in the best best possible way that you can so yeah and it's going to yeah. allow you to keep farming for a longer time or forever yes. which is what you came here to do right and for yeah. sure yes so it keeps that like honeymoon. I mean, we've we talked about the honeymoon phase. Like Shannon, mm-hmm. you brought that up in the beginning. Like the farming flowers. Yeah. It's like I love harvesting sunflowers, and this is like, and <laughs> we still do too sometimes, you know. But that's gonna. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's gonna wear off. It's like a new relationship, okay? Like you get into the relationship, and you're in the honeymoon phase, and then it's like it's gonna get harder <laughs> yeah. to yeah. keep the love alive, and so you got to work at it. And how? that working at it piece, money helps that, yes. you know, money is why we're in this and that's okay. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's why we all, that's why we all do this as we yeah. show up every day. Yeah. It's, it's so naive to think you can not think about the money or to think that it's like somehow like yeah. dirty or sinister yeah. to be talking yes. about yeah. money. Like someone asked me why I named my book Flarmy flower farming for profit like isn't there more to it and i'm like no yes of course and there's, <laughs> yeah, there's all sure. the millions of reasons i got into farming mm-hmm. and none of them had to do with money but to keep farming mm-hmm. i need to be able to make money and i need yeah. to be able to survive yeah. yeah well there's a lot of emotional attachment to money like we all bring our own baggage our personal baggage into our businesses so like however you were raised if you were raised in a home you know where you pinched pennies and and right. so that's how sort of that same mentality comes into and then maybe some people were raised in well off homes and they just spend buying new equipment and spending things you know so we yeah. all bring our own you know ethics and morals and everything that all that baggage into business with us from personal stuff too so that all plays like a huge role into it but yeah i mean there's more to flowers than money, but that's also like that is the reason that we do this is for our, yeah. you know, is for yeah. a living. So yeah. those other reasons keep those other pieces keep us fueled too. Oh. All of that. I don't want to lose sight of that, but like this is a big part of it and it's okay. It's not a money is not mm-hmm. a dirty thing. My mom always says it's just an exchange of energy. Money's just an exchange of energy, you know, between like I'm giving you my energy for this and then, you know, in exchange they're paying me for that and then it, it's a trade-off, but my mom just yeah. always says that. So it's mm-hmm. kind of stuck. So the last key Lenny we've got in here is say no to say yes. Yes, like this is all about boundaries and mm-hmm. red flags and sunk costs, mm-hmm. you know? So We've talked about some of this and you guys preach about this, but, you know, there are so many things like one of you said a few minutes ago that we keep – it's funny because during the podcast, I sometimes don't know which one of you is talking and now here I am like looking at both of you and I'm like, which one's I still can't figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Once in a while, you'll be like – a little here. What did you say? I'm a little twangier than Shannon. Yeah. I got a little bit more Yeah. 
I also always think you both are in the South somewhere and then you're like, and here in Ohio, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Ohio? Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me, but uh, maybe the whole country is the South if you don't live. No, yeah, don't yeah, that's, yes. That's, yeah. I'll save for another day. Um, love the South, by the way, but here we are. So <laughs> there's only so much time in your day and so much space in your business. So in order to like do more of what's working for you, what you're good at, where there's pull, you need to be saying no to other things. And so this comes into play. You know, I was able to see this most clearly, I think, in the wedding side of my business, where I pretty quickly started turning down weddings that I knew weren't a good fit for me. I got really good at noticing red flags. I got really good at noticing, um, at seeing when clients weren't going to be a good fit and when we were both going to end up unhappy and when I wasn't going to make money. And so I started saying no and not giving it a second thought, you know, sorry, we're booked on your date after like them filling out an extensive inquiry form where I always, here's a hot tip for wedding inquiry forms, but I would always leave, add a few questions that were a little bit open-ended, like rather than how many bridesmaids do you have? What's your color scheme? Also, you know, something like, is there anything else you'd like to tell me about you and your fiance? Or is there anything that particularly draws you to my work or something where they can let their personality shine through a tiny bit. And honestly, it's also a place where like, if it were any of the three of us, we would write a little blurb in response if we were the the bride. And then we would say, thank you, or thanks for your time, or can't wait to hear back from you or something, because that's just what normal, nice people do. If someone filled out my inquiry form and they didn't say something like that, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, of course, once in a while, I made an exception. But you guys, I've never been wrong you know that's very smart or it's like um thanks i can't wait to hear from you later this afternoon love the mother-in-law brenda you know or like whatever the you know it's like oh texting you and showing up on your doorstep later today yeah yeah run but like it felt so good to start to lean into my instincts and to have experience to back up my instincts and to say like no this isn't going to work for me there's something an opportunity around the corner that's going to be better for me so you know that comes from the wedding world but also like we said leaving a farmer's market if it's not working for you anymore you guys have talked about I haven't done like a you pick on my farm I've done workshops and stuff but all the boundaries you need to set up yeah to I mean, honestly, I was thinking about setting up a U-Pick at our new location, and then I listened to your guys' episode. And I was like, oh, wow. I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> the hell was I thinking? Yeah. I know, right? <sighs> um, and, but just all the, all the boundaries you need to create and how you need mm-hmm. to find a way to be this, like, happy, accessible business that presents a really um, welcoming public face, mm-hmm. but then also enact some clear boundaries and turn down opportunities that don't yeah. work for you. It's so yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, that takes a little bit of time too. I'm, I, I felt like, you know, the me year seven versus year one, you know, I felt like anybody that held up a $20 bill, I yeah. was <laughs> throwing, you know, I was like, here's flowers, <laughs> um, you know? And so I just, I had an example of like, someone who I know personally reached out to me and wanted me to do a delivery for $50 arrangement for a birthday thing. And I said, no. And it felt 
uncomfortable. It wasn't like I was like, you know, I was like, oh, like here's the options that we have. And it wasn't within that budget. And she said no. And it went on my way. But it was like, it wasn't that I didn't just like, ooh, I cringed a little bit. But I was like, you know, actually, that was a really good decision Mm -hmm. because I had a lot going on. And, you know, it was like, that's just not what I do. And and so, yeah, those sort of those sort of things where you you do have to you get better with boundaries yeah. the more you're in business yeah, yeah. and but, it's, it's yeah. that like attract and repel idea too mm-hmm. like yeah. who you're saying yes yeah. to is who you're going to continue to attract right who you say no to you're going to start repelling those people and it's like even giving ourselves permission to repel it's hard right. yeah right. like we all seek right. acceptance we all seek those things especially from our customers so saying yeah. no is it's hard it's hard, but yeah. I always like just try to remind myself that every time I say yes to the right person, I'm that right person has other right friends that they know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're continuing yeah. down that. And it goes the same with the no's. You know, you say yeah, yes yeah. to the wrong people, they're hanging out with other wrong people. So it's like attracting that audience <laughs> that you want for your farm. Is, yeah. yeah. And that's really like just the energy you're putting out and, and not allowing in your farm is an important, a very important mm-hmm. piece. Yeah. If you say okay. yes to the wrong people, you're going to get a one-star Google review, right, Shan? Well, have yeah. you listened to our <laughs> our flower farming oh, horror stories yet? I, I okay. did. It like made yeah. me. I, I had to like decompress afterwards, <laughs> and then it brought it brought up so many yes. memories that I had tried to forget. Yeah. Well, I had shared. I think it was on the Insider's Zoom that I thought that my Shirley. If you've listened to the episode, I tell a grower's bucket horror story about Shirley, and. Oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm never going to hear from this. I, th- for sure, she's going to give me a bad Google review. We hadn't heard from her in like months. And literally like the day, the night before the last insider Zoom, <laughs> at like two o'clock in the morning, I got a random just one star review and I realized it was from this. <laughs> hey, it's like could have been worse. You know, it could have been filled yeah. with hate speech and all of it. But yeah. um, mm-hmm. it was just I'm like, well, there it was. And Rachel, my like – um. My like second brain on the farm, Rachel, she's super sensitive. We're both like very sensitive beings. She's like, what are they going to do? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing like completely rocked her. But I was like, look, it happened and it wasn't that bad. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Right. Yes. You know, you it yeah. helps you develop a bit of a thick skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It gets easier. We have so many like, yeah. My, uh, you know, I have so many wedding horror stories, but I'm just thinking back to yeah. my farm stand and how we had a little – you know, at one point we had guest books and then at another time we had a big um, uh, cork board where people left post-it oh, notes or, or like. Okay. Um, That's adorable. Or, yeah. And people said really sweet yeah. things. But then once in a while they would just say like the nastiest <laughs> thing. And my flowers were pretty expensive. And sometimes it was just like too expensive, won't support. And now like my old employee, Laura, and I, my farm manager, will like text each other that out of the blue. We haven't spoken in a year. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, lady, I'm not for you. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. For me. And I had more than enough customers. Yeah. It was. And then another one, farm stand, you only sell flowers. Like farm stand meets vegetables. And I was like, I don't even know what, how to. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. People, I always think, man, you would not say that to my no. face. I know. You would not say that to you, coward. Yeah, yeah. you know, right. just like well, yeah. yeah, hiding behind the yeah. the sticky note, like <laughs> yeah. so mean. Yeah, 
Like there's an I, actual person who's probably crying mm-hmm. behind this sticky note that you just wrote right now. You know, you were making totally. like an actual yeah. person. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> in my last year in California, like we had a, you know, we had a camera at our farm stand because our farm stand was actually down the road and we leased it. And so <laughs> like I would start watching, mm-hmm. I you know, not not in live time, yeah. but I would like, re, you know, there's oh, a motion no. sensor. So you get little clips uh-huh. of when people enter the farm stand. It was so funny. My, my boyfriend, Matt, would, ha- would come home from work and I'd be like writing my book, but really he'd hear me on the computer and he'd hear like traffic sounds and he knew I was watching farm stand video. And he's like, stop creeping on the nice people. <laughs> but like I'd see the funniest things and some people definitely would like talk shit but then you know it it was always heartwarming once in a while there'd be like a couple who they would come Mm. in and they would like they'd be like okay this is nice and then someone usually the woman usually it was like a man and a woman and the woman would be like oh these are really nice yeah. and she'd come in and I'd be sitting back like yeah they are you know, to myself <laughs> yeah. like freaking up the bouquet Aww. and then he goes oh but honey though so it was like you know it was like a roller coaster like here we are again and then he goes these are expensive and she goes oh my god 35 dollars <laughs> and then they like throw them down and leave oh my and I'm gosh. like Women, you just said that those are the most beautiful flowers you've ever mm-hmm. seen. Like, shouldn't they be expensive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and here I'm yeah. just sitting there having this whole experience. Oh, it's like, crazy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's a roller coaster. And then you're like, hey, by the way, you didn't put those back in the bucket. So now oh, they're wasted because they're yeah. dead. Yeah. And they can't, nobody else can sell them. So, yeah. yeah. yeah this <laughs> farm stand. I always, I have a doorbell in mind. So if they need yeah. assistance mm-hmm. or something, they'll ring the doorbell and they're always so awkward. And like sometimes it'll be young girls in there and they're like, you know, it comes down to like, you talk, I'm not, you talk, I'm not going to talk. You know, it's like, they're standing, I'm like, I can hear you. Hi. You know, <laughs> there's like a little delay and they're like, hi, you know, they're looking at you. I'm like, I know this is yeah. creepy. I'm talking to you through a doorbell, but here we are 2023. That's so cute. oh my gosh. cameras are great. So you have three oh. wishes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. We got good feedback from that, from that Halloween episode. Yeah. People want us to just do some of those like farming story lessons there were some good Mm, good chats we could do that we've we've got lots of farming yeah farming stories that's for sure yeah Yeah. oh just if you listen to that episode um when I was talking about getting stitches Emily who works for me and she's the one that has like the can't see blood she goes down cut herself yesterday okay she's pregnant which (laughs) I then learned that you have like more blood in your system when you're pregnant okay did not know this it's one of the horrific things about being pregnant (laughs) okay well she cut herself with a uh with a with a drill we were putting up our temporary raised beds and I like I hear her gasp and I like look over and it's like pouring out of her hand she took it through her nail (gasps) like I did And I'm like, she did not, she did so Aww. great. I mean, we put her feet up, we put her on the ground and put her feet up, but bless her heart. Aww. I'm like, you know, she was like laying on her back and she's pregnant. She's like, well, I got to roll to my side. Cause I might pass out <laughs> just from like laying on her back. And so anyway, she did Aww. so good, but I'm like, I feel so, feel oh. so bad for her. So bad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she's all healed up. She's out there with bandage, bandage on her thumb <laughs> doing tulips today. Holy cow. Poor girl. Yeah. I know. Lenny, this was yes. great. This was so great. Do you have anything? Do you want to add anything about the profitability piece you want to talk about? When did your book come yeah. out? You want to? Yeah. When, when can we yeah, find that? So, fun. so the book is available for pre-order now um, on Amazon or on bookshop.org or other places as well. And it, ter- 
apparently pre-orders really, really help with the success of a book. So like the printer will print and, you know, an exponent of how many exponent of how many books were ordered. So if anyone's interested in buying the book, I invite you to pre-order it now. It will actually come out the end of January. Um, And it's through Chelsea Green, which they're the publisher that put out Lynn Bizinski's The Flower Farmer, and they put out The Lean Farm. And Awesome. Yeah. So that maybe we could do a giveaway or something in January when it comes out. I'll send that to you guys. That'd be awesome. um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's like a complete a complete guide to uh, building a flower farming business. So everything other than growing the crops, because there's already great resources mm-hmm. for that. And it took yeah. me two years to write. It's been a big project, a big endeavor. Lots of um, templates and graphs. And now I'm just finishing up an online course to kind of go deeper than the book, to go into some of these things that I talked about in the book, but I really wanted to dive deeper into. And this course is based on a bunch of past business courses I've taught, I've taught farmers in, and it's the, it's kind of everything combined. So it's like one of those big deal courses that'll take you a month to get through that will come out this um, January. So I'm really excited to work with people in that course. And yeah, also I created a guide for your listeners today to go along with today's podcast. So the five pillars of profitability with some more specifics of the things we talked through today and some tips. And so I'll share the link and people can sign up for that, join my mailing list, and then download that that guide. And, okay. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited to you. join you over on the Insiders too. I yes. think it's so so cool the community yeah. you can built over there. And we'll talk about cost of production and also the sixth pillar of profitability. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. And thanks for, for all you do here. Thank I you. appreciate it. Yeah, thank appreciate you. it, Lenny. It was great. We just uh, love talking about profitability. It's like a piece for us that's just something that's that's huge. I mean, I had some, I've had a friend message me and say, like, you guys don't even really talk about flowers. And it's like, well, it's like, <laughs> as a small portion of what yeah. we do, <laughs> you know. Right. But yeah, thank you so much. I'm really looking yes. forward to, to checking your book out. So again, that's, uh, the book is Flower Farming for Profit. And that's Lenny. Larkin and you can check it out so they can pre-order Amazon yeah. you said mm-hmm. Amazon, anywhere yeah. okay we can okay. put the link we'll in our show notes that too. yeah 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 we can do that drop a link so you guys can check it out so well we hope you guys love this episode and you gained a ton of knowledge I know I did I always love talking with other flower farmers and just like every conversation like this one it just makes me go back and go okay how can I refocus how can I like trim down what I'm even doing a little bit more I always feel more inspired when I talk to other people so if you love what you're hearing don't forget to hit the subscribe button it gives you a little notification every week when we come out with a new episode every Friday we just shared but we hit 250,000 downloads Go no. us. I know. We don't even know if that's okay. good, people. We We're just celebrating it because it seems like it's a good number. I mean, if you listen to these other pie, I have no idea, but it feels good to us. We love hearing from you. So if you have an episode idea, you want to connect with us, head over to Instagram at Dirt on Flowers. Let us know what you want to hear. You guys create this content for us. You help drive this weekly ship that we have going here. So Thank you so much for being here. We just love being in your earbuds, helping you grow your farm. And as always, we will see you the same time, same place next week. Bye.